It's Apelis Daily from the Spectrum Healthcare Partner Studios across the MBR radio network. Where today, May 15th, 2018, the New York Yankees have the best record in all of Major League Baseball. Just wanted to remind you, they're also in first place of the American League East. Well, you know, you sit in the back of lounge and go to first place. It's a pretty good deal. Well, I mean, when your when you're Cy Young Award winner can't can't beat the Oakland A's at home, I mean, those are the things that happen, well, right? You know, I, I was waiting for a sinker. He is a sinker ball pitcher. He no, we are throwing high fastballs. No, he decided to go with the heat last night. Yeah, thank Bring you him the heat, much. Ricky. Why How'd do that they go? do stuff like that? I don't know. Travis Barrett knows, though. Travis Barrett from CentralMaine.com. You know these things. Why, why was Rick Porcello not, not dealing last night, Travis? Why? Why you got to go there first thing in the morning? I mean, really? That's how. That's how you're gonna get. I see what you're doing. You're trying to get me angry. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. I'm on, I'm on medication, therapy. My wife gave me my mantra for the day: stay positive, stay positive. Come on, man! It's only May. Who cares? I know. Playoff. Playoff. Okay. I know, but let's see if you get there. I just honestly, though, Travis, my whole goal with this entire regular season is to watch Red Sox fans have to live through the one-game wild card. I want you I to live through it. I want you to I live know. through the modern one-day wild card because I'm telling you, it is not pretty. It's just no, not. No, it's not. It's funny you say that because I, I heard talking to somebody last week about it. and It's like you look at you look at the American League, and if, if, I, if I'm going to get wound up every single day about wins and losses, I'm going to have a coronary before I get to October. Like, he... It's so clear that it's the Red Sox and the Yankees and it's everybody else in the American League. I mean, it's good, right? You know they'll be good. But, I mean, I can't get stressed out about whether or not they make the playoffs. But you're right. The one-game thing has to frighten you a little bit. And, you know, you've been there, so you probably can speak better than most. But, yeah, I'd like to avoid that. But at the end of the day, come on. Like, let's just see what the Red Sox do in the playoffs. It's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters. Did we not learn anything under John Farrell the last couple of years? It's one hundred percent. It's one hundred percent true. And you know, and you know, Travis. The the thing with that is really, it's such a it's such a good point. But when you, I've lived through it twice. Like the year that Dallas Keuchel basically said, "No, no one's touching the ball." Like that's it. Like after the first inning of that game, you know it is over. Like you know yeah. Yeah. that that game is ending, and your team is not even going to mount a thing. And then you you start off the next time, and then Severino gives up three, four runs in the first inning, and you're like, "Really, dude? This is what Deja we're doing. Vu. This is this is what's going on here." I have to watch. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to not watch Major League Baseball playoffs because the Minnesota Twins beat us. Like really, but then luckily yeah. the Twins remembered. Hey, we're the Twins. Hey, we're we the don't. Twins. We don't beat the Yankees <laughs> for any reason at all. And then that yeah. was that was kind of a, like I consider that the curse of uh, what what was it Little Big League? I, th- I think that's the I think that's the curse of that because the Twins beat oh, them. Oh yeah, in that yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I remember. That. And I don't think yeah. they've beaten them since that movie came out. To be honest with you, boy, I think oh, it's boy. the curse of Little Big League. So I like that. Let's go. We're gonna go with that. I like that. Let's um let's shift things over uh, local racing wise. I feel like you you may or may not have your finger on the pulse of these things and have for years. Um uh some some changes, kind of some changes at, at Unity yeah. as uh, as uh, a gentleman that was trying to buy it from another gentleman not continuing, so the other gentleman will be will be holding it up. I'll let you uh, get into the details and give names and and do all that fun stuff because you know, right. you're the expert and I'm just I'm just looking at generalities here. I kind of wanted to listen to you fumble through all the <laughs> He was doing right. a pretty good job of that, especially wasn't after, he? Especially after you come, you know, tie it inside with the Yankees Red Sox yeah. fastball to open it. I feel like I should do that to you, but I won't. I appreciate that. That was quite an intro uh, he gave you, though. That was good. I tried. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, basically, George Fertile 
uh, Junior, who, you know, he grew, basically grew up in Unity Race, you know, <laughs> race there and leased the track um, in the mid-2000s. Um, had uh, two years ago made an agreement with Ralph Nason, the longtime owner of Unity Raceway, to buy the track. Um, he had, like I said, he had 10 years to pay it off. Nobody will disclose what the purchase price was. Um, he paid him roughly $25,000 over the last couple of years towards you know what he owed on it. Um, had a really um, scary health situation. He's got a you know, he's got an infection that essentially was started in his spinal cord and is in his, in his brain. So, to put it in the simplest terms, it's like he had, um, it's like he was dropped 40 feet on his head. I mean, that's what the infection has done to his brain. It's like he's dealing with concussion, serious concussion symptoms without ever having had a concussion. You know, he spent, you know, uh, the better part of five months in bed, like couldn't tolerate light, couldn't tolerate noise. Um, he runs his own family business, so they've they've kind of poured through all of their money to try to deal with his health issues, and and the stress and the commotion and all everything that goes around, with, you know, trying to you know own a racetrack and to try and build that thing from the ground up again. Um, just decided last week, you know, I can't do it, so he backed out of the agreement. Uh, Ralph Mason, you know, just assumes ownership of the racetrack, which he bought in 1980 himself and has had for you know 30 seven or eight years now. So that's kind of where it's at. It's weird. When I, when I talked to my sports editor yesterday, I said, I can't even know everything. And he goes, so, I go, so nothing's really changed in two years is basically the bottom line. I mean, a lot has happened, but at the end of the day, it's still the same. And uh, Ralph Nason owns a track that right now, all of the asphalt on it has been torn up because one of George's plans was to turn it into a dirt track that was going to open next year, which would make make it Maine's only, you know, uh, fully operational dirt track. So it's kind of in limbo. And I, when I talked to Ralph yesterday, you know, he Ralph is always Ralph. Like, I said, so do you look to sell it immediately? And he's like, well, I mean, my ears are open, but I'm not really, like, looking. So I don't know. Like I said, in two years, a lot has changed. And at the same time, nothing has really changed. So that's where Union Raceway is at. So... There was another part of that article where Ricky Craven was interested in buying it, but didn't seem to be interested. He, he's interested in keeping it open and having an interest in it, but don't really yeah. ra- using it. What, what was that all about? Right. Okay. So uh, most people probably know, or at least um, race fans certainly know, that um, in the mid-'80s, Ricky Craven, who's from Newburgh, Maine, started his racing career at Unity Raceway as a teenager. And he, you know, of course, he goes all the way up through all the levels. He's the only main driver ever to win in NASCAR's Cup Series. He won twice. He owns the car that he won Martinsville with, which was his first um, career win uh, in the Cup Series in 2001. I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's 2001. And so he still owns the race car, and what he really wants is for it to be back in Maine somewhere, whether it's in a museum, whether it's at a racetrack, in a, some kind of a permanent showcase. Um, because he really, Ricky told me yesterday, he really feels like that car belongs to the people of Maine, which I think is really kind of a, a, it's a genuine sentiment from Ricky Craven. So he knew that George was having some some health issues. They had been talking in February right around the time of the Daytona 500, and ultimately what had, he had said to George, listen, I am willing to float you X amount of dollars if it will help you get through this, this rough patch, get everything going, get you back up on your feet. You can pay me back, you know, until we become 50-50 partners. And 
and but he really didn't want to own the racetrack, and he was very clear about that. You know, he was like, I never had any interest in owning Unity Raceway, and I certainly have no interest in owning it and being the guy in charge of operating it every week. I mean, he he spent twelve the last twelve years working at ESPN. He still lives in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. I mean, that's his career now, and, and he really enjoys it. And he's in, and as he said yesterday, he's in a really good place in his life. But he was willing to help somebody who he was friends with, had known for a long time and really kind of loved Unity Raceway the way he did, or at least had an affinity for it. Um, but when Ralph Nason heard that, that uh, Ricky was involved, he, you know, he kind of said, hey, I'm not really interested in that deal. Um, and, so that's, and so that kind of put the kibosh on all of that, which is sort of interesting because, you know, George had gone to Ralph over the winter with a couple other potential financial partners, and Ralph was willing to keep the same kind of handshake arrangement, you know, that's, You've got 10 years, as long as we keep paying it off, everything's fine. Seems like once he heard Ricky Craven's name, uh, something changed. Um, now, all three guys I talked to yesterday, George, Ralph, and Ricky, kind of had a different version of what had happened to kind of make everybody sour on that deal. But at the bottom line, it's just, no matter what, once Ricky got involved, uh, Ralph kind of balked at it. And now, you know, like I said, we're kind of back to square one. Talking with Travis Barrett from CentralMaine.com. So, at this point, like no danger of it closing. At this point, still gonna still keep trucking doing its thing because I know there's always concern. I know the uh, last economic downturn, there's a lot of uh, a lot of concern about uh, racetracks here in the area well, and, and, well, and things of that nature. Stuff, I mean, it's not it's not technically open now, so it's, that's that's sort of the tricky part here. Like, there's actually <laughs> right now minor glitch. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, just a minor detail. Um, so what happened was last fall, after their last race of the year, they held a handful of races last year. The whole point, the whole part of it was, as soon as that last race was over, um, George would take it in an excavator and some equipment, and they were tearing up all the asphalt because they want to get it back down to the original dirt track that was there, you know, like in the 1940s. And so, which they all still believe is there. And I talked to Ralph yesterday, and Ralph is like, it's absolutely still there. We, we've gotten down to it. It needs some work, obviously, but it's in relatively good shape considering how old it is, blah, blah, blah. So they tore it up, and then George got sick, and then the winter happened. And so basically what it is over there now is it's just a bunch of torn-up asphalt, like literally where the racetrack would be. So it's not even as though, let's say you and I decide, hey, we're going to buy it, and tomorrow we're going to go run a dirt race there. You would have the incredible task of just getting all of that chewed up asphalt out of there to begin with before you could even get to the dirt track. So they're not open, and they're not open <laughs> for the foreseeable future. No matter who goes in there, um, whether it's whether Ralph leases it to somebody, whether Ralph sells it to somebody else, whether George there's going to have to be a whole lot of dump trucks rolling out of there. Is what you're saying? Done before you could ever have a race there of any kind. Yeah, <sighs> that's brutal. Yeah. Really. It's sad. It's really sad. And I, I think what's really heartbreaking about the whole thing is, if you know George Fernald, you know how much he loves that place. And it's, whether it worked out or didn't work out, whether you thought it was going to work out or not from, you know, from day one in July of 2016, it, what's sad about it is that he genuinely loves the place and really, really, really had dreams and a vision for it and was trying to do something out of the ordinary in main racing, which, which, which is what's needed. I mean, that's, we can't have another racetrack doing the same thing, especially when you're located in Unity, Maine. You're so far off the beaten path. Um, so what's sad about the whole thing is that 
it's just not going to work out for him. And that's, uh, it, that's really kind of heartbreaking. Talking with Travis Barrett from CentralMaine.com. Any danger right now for any of the other ones, you know, that, that are around in the area? Like Oxford Plains still okay? Everybody good? You know, everything everything good otherwise, racing-wise, throughout throughout the state? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think one of the things that has always and always will help Oxford Plains Speedway is the Oxford 250. You know, you can look at um, their results every week, and you can look at the guys that come and race in their top division. They get... They get, on average, you know, two or three guys that aren't there every week who come from wherever to go race there on a Saturday night because they're all getting ready for the Oxford 250. At the, oh, I've got a weekend off. We're going to go up there. We're going to run that race, and we're going to take notes so that we come back in August. So I think, in that sense, Oxford's always going to have – they're always going to have a firm base from which to work. Now, you can argue about car counts and whether or not – well, Jesus is, you know, 16, 17, 18 cars really enough, but – that's kind of the way the economy is. That's kind of the state of racing. I mean, I said to somebody the other day, it's kind of a weird thing when you think of somebody holding up, you know, 15, 16, 17 cars in a top division anywhere and say, oh, we're doing really good because it was 10 years ago that if you weren't in the mid-20s, people were worried. So things have changed a little bit. I think with Cassid, um, they're still doing their, they do every other week, they alternate divisions, and I think that really helps them. You know, I was there the other night to cover the races, and they had, I think it was, they had 22 or 23 late models there in a race. That's a good number. So I think everybody's kind of holding steady. I don't think it's as dire as it was, um, you know, five, six, seven years ago. We were all kind of worried about the future of the sport in Maine. I think it's kind of plateaued a little bit. I don't think it's ever going to jump back up to where it was when it was great. But um, it's, not, it's not like every year we're showing up and it, and it just looks worse and worse and worse everywhere. It's kind of plateaued a little bit, which is... Good for them, I think. I don't, I don't know how that affects the, the marketing plan or the business plan, but um, at least they're all kind of treading water right now. You, you think this, uh, this sports gambling thing, uh, uh, sports gambling going legal, you think that's going to help NASCAR at all? Yeah, it's funny because I saw, you know, of course, watching the old Twitterverse yesterday, it feels like everybody thinks it's going to help. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a degenerate as much as the next guy, but I don't feel like it's going to make me watch NASCAR races on Sunday afternoons if I can wager on them, you know? I, I don't know. I, I think it's too early to say. I think everybody I think everybody hopes that it's going to affect their sport somehow. Like, oh, this is going to be good for us. But I, I don't know. I don't see it. Like, it, are, is the average sports fan more interested in a four-and-a-half-hour NASCAR race because they could plunk down 20 bucks on... Um, I don't know, Joey Logano to win a race. I, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. All right, that's good. Okay. I just wanted to double check on that. Do you? I don't know. Do you? I don't know. I, I, it, you know what? It, it depends. It depends on, you know, when football season is over, there's mm-hmm. a gap. Yeah. There's a big gap. And if people that got kind of like hooked on it during football season are looking for something, the next big event at that point is the Daytona 500. Yeah, and if, yeah. and if they think they know somebody, and somebody wins on a long shot, winning, you know, somebody pulls a Derek Cope out of the hat, okay, and <laughs> well, wins, yeah. they get they get hooked, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. they, I could see that helping with that. I know Daily Fantasy uh, for for NASCAR has has done well. Uh, yeah. There there are people that specialize in 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 that for picking your top twelve drivers or whatever it is. So, 
you know, and I, I, I know that it but, used to be that when the football pools were over with, it seemed like the NASCAR pools were, were right there after it. And then all of a sudden those kind of died out a little bit. Now, I wasn't sure if it was because yeah. the sport died out in popularity a little bit or more people start stopped pushing them a little bit. I don't know. Like, it well, could have been a chicken-egg thing. Yeah, so I think, like, it, let, let's take the Daily Fantasy um, side of it. it. It still hasn't, it, even if that has gone strong on the auto racing side of things, it's, it's pretty clear that the crowds at the racetrack and the television ratings have not followed suit. So I just, I sometimes I feel like it's such a different, it's a different fan base. So it's not, so maybe there's more interest in it at the end of the day, but it doesn't mean people are buying tickets or tuning in um, to watch the television broadcast that of course these networks are just paying, um, you know, through the nose for. So I, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting. Somebody I saw yesterday. Somebody made a, made a point about um, that if there's any sport, any motorsport that could really benefit from sports gambling, it would be the NHRA drag racing. Because they said, what would be better than you know these these races literally take you know between four and six seconds, right? And then you wait ten minutes for the next group to come up. Can you imagine being on your phone on an app where one pair goes down the racetrack, you bet on it. Then they go by, you bet on the next one, and I was like, okay, now that's an interesting, because drag racing is so segmented, you know, it's, it's, here's this race, here's this race, here's this race, we go from the first round to the second round to the semifinals to the finals, and you can wager on every round right from your app on your smartphone. I was like, hmm, now that's something I could see the general gamblers really latching onto, but I can't, I don't know, I, I guess the jury's out for me on NASCAR and sports betting. I like that. All right, you're ne- that's a long way to go to say nothing, but you're welcome. Okay, I really appreciate that. You could, <laughs> you could, uh, you could end up on one of these TV news shows before you know it. Um, right, right. Here's a lot of information about nothing. So um, <laughs> it's a show about nothing too. Um, <laughs> Bruins. I feel like you've probably got some pent up stuff there from from the Bruins where they get eliminated. So who are they, who are they playing tonight? Are they- uh, they're not. They're not. They're, oh, taking yeah. a day off. Yeah, they're taking. <laughs> that um yeah, cleaned out their lockers sorry ah uh, that's that's so depressing thanks a lot you're ruining my summer right uh, yeah yeah no problem I think, okay so in the moment right i was like i was i was beside myself right just so so mad um so disappointed right because the season was so promising and in the end you know tampa was just a hundred times better and you could you can look at officiating in that series. You can look at uh, Brad Marchand licking everybody he could get his tongue on. But at the end of the day, Tampa was just better. Um, and I think in the moment, I thought their expectations should have been to be at least in the conference finals. But I think, you know, a week or two removed from it, you know, I thought, you know, they're still extremely young. Youngest team in the league. A lot of those kids had just never, even though they had a taste of it last year, some of them, with that first round against Ottawa, I still felt like, you know, these kids still have a lot to learn, and some of them obviously weren't around last year. I think it's a huge, um, I think it's a huge step forward for them overall this year. But I would say this too: I think the pressure now, um, when Don Sweeney took over as general manager, when he fired Claude Julian and, and went to Cassidy, and, and it was all about we want to see if our guys can play this game, and we want to coach, kind of coach the young kid, all that kind of stuff. Okay, you got that now for a year and a half. I feel like the onus now has shifted to Sweeney to make sure he adds the right complementary pieces in the offseason. Like, I think 
Rick Nash is an unmitigated disaster. If anybody thought that he was going to be Thank the Rick you. Nash of six years ago, you're out of your mind. And that's on Sweeney, right? Like, that's on Sweeney. Now, they didn't give up, they didn't give up that much to get him, so you can live with it. But it's the kind of veteran pieces that he's going to bring in now to complement this super young roster that he has. I think it's on him. I, I really do. Like, they need more defensemen. They need better defensemen. They need, they need another David Backus or two. You know, those kind of veteran guys that have been there and are still pretty good. You know, Backus, when they signed him, everybody looked at his contract and thought, oh, my God, we are going to be dying to get off one of this at the end of it. But Backus has been really solid for them. He's been everything they hoped he could be and more. They need a couple pieces like that if they're really going to go for it. Because next year, next year we're not going to be happy with a second-round exit. You know, it's just not going to be good enough. No, I don't. I don't think that would be the case. I think at that point it would be the hey, is Bruce Cassidy the new John Farrell? Mm. Yeah, and you notice I didn't mention Tuka Rask at all because I think Tuka gets this un- this ridiculously unfair criticism. I'm not saying he's the best goalie in the world, but the criticism of him game to game in the playoffs. You can pick out the pink hat hockey fans when they go to the, it's all the goalie's fault. But you can To me, that it's like if you're watching those games, with the exception of the game that he got pulled in in the first period of Game 7 against the Leafs, if you look at him as anything other than a really solid veteran playoff goalie, you're looking at it through the wrong lens. You just are. Can't help you. Okay. Yeah, I don't – there's just not – like, who are you trading him for? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think to any I – would, I would say – we had this argument in the office every night during the playoffs. They love to get me going about Tuka, and I would just say, every other goalie in the playoffs right now, pick one. Who are you going to, are you going to trade for? And and then the argument I would make, I would go back over and over to, you know, the year that Tim Thomas was the greatest playoff goalie in the history of the world. They played three seven-game series that year. That means he lost nine games. He lost nine games that season. But all we remember is. You know, the night that he, you know, flips on his back and throws his helmet in his face in front of the... I mean, what what we saw that year with Tim Thomas was something that um, we may never, ever, ever see again from any goalie on any team. And to hold Tuka Rask to that standard is com- it's clinically insane. It's not going to happen. Pekka Rinne from Nashville just threw up all over himself in Game 7, you know, against the Jets. He's one of the best goalies in the world. Like, it happens. You can't expect in two in a two-month grind your goalie to be your best player on the ice every single night and have a, you know, 0.75 goals against average for two months. Because you can't, you don't know, expect your forwards to score two goals every single night. If well, I don't know about you, pal. Score. Yeah. <laughs> you got me on a rant. I'm done. No, I mean, I do. I mean, I expect them. I, like I, want, two, I want two Pasternak goals every night, like, Right. I just I just want this team at some point to actually get a legitimate second line. And I don't want to hear, oh, you need to break up the top line. If you break up the no. top line, that's a bad, bad decision. Like, bad move. Yeah, that was, bad that move. was not like when the Oilers were in their heyday, you weren't like, you know what, I think you should break up the, uh, you know, the line with, with, uh, with, uh, with Gretzky and Curry. I don't think yeah. you want that line. Yeah. Yeah, I think you need some more secondary scoring. Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. No, I think you just need to build up a good second line. And you've got enough yeah. young talent there. Like, yeah, it's it's doable. You do. Is it? Is it? Is that? I think. I, all right. If so, oh man. See, now you're making me go really deep, and I, I, I got a headache. I mean, this is bad. <laughs> um, so I guess for me then the question becomes, is David Krejci your guy? Is he really your second-line center? And I think what's, what's so funny about Krejci is, is that 
they've tried for so many years here, the last two, three, four years, to find young, speedy guys to play with him, right? And what is, what's crazy is that he was at his best, even in this postseason, when it's DeBrusque and Nash on his wing, big, heavy guys that just want to bang bodies and create space for him. And it's, it's like Krejci's best playoff season is probably the year that he had Horton and Lucic with him, right? Like, just two That's huge right. power forwards. And yet we've tried to find these skillful little guys, like even Pasternak, we tried him with Krejci, right? At the start of every year, it feels like. And Krejci is so much better. Just give him some guys who want to go to the net. Just they want to smash bodies and drive to the net, because he'll find them. When he's healthy, he's really good. But I wonder. I just wonder if he... He, is, is he the problem, or is it the guys they're trying to put with him that are the problem? I don't. I don't have an answer for that one. I don't. No, I think you're right. What, what are they going to do defensively? Who? Let's say uh, they can find a couple of defensemen. Who? Who are they letting go? Or who are they uh, trading? Can we, can we get rid of Tory Krug? Is that? Can, can we just be done with Tory Krug? Like, I mean, that, that's find, that's my first pick. Honestly, you got it. You got me. He's to me. I'm so tired of every year preseason Tory Krug. The Tory Krug quote about. You know, I want top four minutes. I think I'm that guy. There's one problem in your argument, Tori. You can't defend guys that have 70 pounds on you. You can't. You Power play, great. You want Tori Krug as your fifth or sixth defenseman who plays, you know, six minutes a night on the power play and maybe gets, you know, another six minutes five on five, fine. But I, I'm done with him at five on five. He's a liability. He just gets run over. Yeah, no question. Not good enough. I'll take McQuaid over Tory Krug, and I know that. Whoa, you know, that whoa! Let's not go that, crazy but, now. Well, not. I know, but it's at least McQuaid for his fault, right? Like he's not going to move the puck as well as a guy like Krug. He's not going to play on your power play, but he's a tough physical. Kevin Miller outplayed Tory Krug. Oh, for, sure. Um, all year, right? Yeah. All year. Yeah. Um, I think Char- the criticism of Chara is probably a little premature. Oh, well, yeah, but he's still really good. Uh, McAvoy got better as the playoffs went. They just they need some depth there, you know, because I think Paul Postma and uh, Nick Holden aren't your guys. Right? No. They're not. That's not good enough depth. What so, are you going to do with Grizzlick? I like them, by the him. way. Yeah, I, I would keep him. Again, young, first taste of the playoffs, first taste of really being a guy that is playing every night a ton of minutes. So I, I, think, he's, I think that's fine. I, I think for defensively, I think the key is they can't go out and find more young kids who are developing. Right now they need one or two proven guys, you know. I, I don't have a – I haven't really looked, honestly, to, to say, okay, these are the defensemen that are going to be available and you really got to go after. I know there's some out there. I, I think that's what they got to do, right? This is where you got you to gotta find the, def- the veterans to kind of complement the, McAvo- the McAvoys and the Grelzics and um, slip them in behind Char, maybe lighten his load a little bit, but – I don't so, know. I feel like they had a really good year, and it's like, God, I hate to be so. They've got to do this, this, and this. But they're kind of on that cusp, right? Like, they can they can play with the Lightning if they get the right pieces. They can play with the best teams in the league if they get the right pieces. Because their game is really good. You know, I think, for me, in the, watching the playoffs, watching the Lightning series, the one thing that kind of bothered me about Cassidy was they were insistent on playing the same style of game even when it wasn't working. You know, like... Let's get it wide. Let's skate the perimeter. Let's try to get to the net. Well, you can't get to the net because they've got three or four guys dropping back into that seam every single time. And I felt like, geez, we're not changing it up at all. And I'm not talking about Ryan Donato's going to play. I, I mean, they're just not changing up their their style of play. And I thought that's what ultimately kind of handicapped them at the end. They just 
couldn't quite they couldn't quite adjust on the fly enough. And I think that's going to happen with young kids, right? That's going to happen with a young young team and a young coach. His name is Travis Barrett, and of course, you can read him in centralmaine.com. And you can also find him on Twitter, T Barrett GWC, right? Is that it? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Nailed it. Okay, good. I, I haven't lost my couple. Let's do this on. Let's start doing the. Are, are Tuesdays good for you moving forward? Or? Ah, Tuesdays. Yeah, let me look. Uh, I got to do my hair. I, I assume. <laughs> yeah, he's really. Yeah, Tuesdays are good. All right. Tuesdays are good. Yeah. I think Tuesdays with Travis is now a new thing. All, All right, right, man. I'll talk we to like you. It. Talk to you next week. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That's Travis Barrett from CentralMaine.com. We'll have more on the way. It's the B-List from the Spectrum Healthcare Partners Studios. Culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. 